Talking Tennis with Linda Sirk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Tennis with Linda, where I have in-depth chats with those who make the tennis world go round. Now, in this latest episode, I'm going to talk to Nino Severino, one of the titans of the coaching and sports science world. He is not only a top tennis coach, but has also coached elite cricketers, golfers, boxers and martial arts fighters as well. And when it comes to the latter two disciplines, he is going to reveal why more and more tennis pros are levitating towards boxing and fighting sports. He is, of course, also going to talk about tennis coaching, and I'm certainly not going to let him go without revealing some of his top tennis tips, but we are also going to embrace the subject of mental health in the pro tennis world. So let's all give a big welcome to Nino Severino. Hello. Hi, Linda. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Now, uh, we're going to crack straight on because you have got such a long CV and you have got such a varied background. Uh, So I'm going to abridge it slightly, Nino, but uh, you've spent eight years on the World Tennis Tour and as a member of the British Olympic tennis team. Uh, You've coached cricket teams, including Leicester and Sussex. You've developed a golf training system that was offered to all UK PGA golf pros. Then in boxing, uh, you worked on gym. Jim Davison's ABA coaching team and you helped train the likes of Amir Khan and in the karate world you've worked with legendary coach Tiki Donovan and this is just the bare bones of your CV it is absolutely astounding <laughs> gem packed yeah I'll say uh, so I'm really interested to hear Nino the story of how you came to be so immersed in the world of sport and sports training so how did it all start well, I, th- I think just from a young age, I was really interested in sport. Um, I had natural rhythm, timing, tempo, um, and and did well, did well in sport. I, I think it's probably fair to say that I, I was a jack of all trade, but but a master of none, even though I, I eventually worked my way through and became part of the under-21 England karate squad. Then from that sort of natural fighting ability, um, I had the right aggression levels with the right mental control, um, then flipped into kickboxing and managed to bag um, a couple of national karate and kickboxing titles. And then after that, after a long time in fighting, which I which I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the camaraderie of it. Um, I then retired, stopped sport and and moved into business. Basically, you discovered as a child that you had a talent for sporty activities. And I think that's really important anyway uh, for our children of today, certainly in terms of tackling obesity, that if they do have some kind of talent, and let's face it, every child is good at something, at one sport, um, it's so important to get them out there, isn't it? And that's something that you feel very strongly about as well. I do, yeah. I feel really, really strongly about it because I, I really just feed from from my experience. And and really looking back now, it was really what structured my life and gave me focus was environment and culture. And within that environment and culture, I had very, very positive people around me in my life, and that really steered the way I thought, the way I acted, the way I reacted. Um, and I think mould really the personality and character I am today. You know, I mean, it wasn't perfect, you know, plain sailing, but definitely those early days with the right people around me made a difference to me now. And that's what I feel we give to to all the young people we, we, we work with now as a, as a foundation. And tell us more about the foundation. Well, the foundation's 
incredible because it's part of my wife's legacy, Elena Baltacha Severino. Um, we started it together when we were on the world tour. We used to talk about it all the time. Um, it was part. It was part of what we wanted to do when we retired. So it's very, very close to my heart. I believe we achieved a lot when Elena was here. She was an extraordinary human being. We traveled around the world to major tournaments. And in between those major tournaments, she just wanted to be with children. And of course, after I lost Elena, um, I continued that, that plan. She left me with a plan. We were able to talk about that. And that's what I try and do every day now. That's incredible. And uh, what's the name of the foundation? The name of the foundation is the Elena Baltacher Foundation. And um, one of the patrons is Judy Murray as well. And, and you've worked with her, haven't you, on the Olympics team? Yeah, I'm, I'm just so privileged. Um, Judy was a great friend, a great friend to Elena. Um, I'd always remember she, she, she once said if she was to have a daughter, she would have loved it to have been Elena. So they were very, very close. And um, we asked Judy if she would be patron, or Bally did. Um, Bally is, is Elena's nickname. Uh, Bally asked her, and she, she responded immediately and said yes. And I've had the privilege of, of Judy being by our side when Elena was here with us and continues all the time to give me time and support and passion around all the things we're trying to achieve with Elena's legacy now. Oh, that's really, really wonderful. That's, uh, that's such a positive uh, to come out of what must have been an incredibly tough time. Now, um, in terms of tennis and as mentioning Judy and, and the Olympics team, how did you get into tennis? How did you move from martial arts fighting to tennis? Well, uh, it's, it's, it is an interesting story and we could probably spend the whole day talking about it, yes. but I'll try, and place it, <laughs> I'll try and place it down into 60 seconds. When I retired from sport, I just had this real feeling of rhythm, timing, tempo in my body. You know, it was always something that probably I was the most positive about. Um, as a coach, I managed to attract some world-class fighters. So they were EIS, world-class fighters. So these are, these are athletes that would win world, world medals, Commonwealth medals. And I had to keep up with the pace of what they wanted. Um, so I invented a training system. And the training system was called foot sport dynamics. It was focused around biomechanics, trying to make athletes faster. And that, that invention opened up a world of sport to me. Ended up presenting in Spain. Uh, the legendary Joe Jury, our tennis player, our top five tennis player was there. Um, she spotted me. Um, she sent a physio over to watch the training session. I was then invited back to a London-based tennis academy and um, Elena Baltacher trained there. Um, so I was very aware of Elena. She was British number one at that point. I never coached Elena for three or four years. It then got to the point where Elena was trying to look for solutions in her game, her tennis game. We started to talk about nutrition. We started to talk about psychology, strength and conditioning. And then that led to Elena losing faith in the coach and team that she had at that time, for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly. But she turned to me and that, that was my opportunity to do everything I could to support Elena and that partnership of Elena and Nino, Bally and Nino. It was a very hard journey. Uh, she was 170 in the world, you know, on really the scrap heap of tennis at that point in terms of British tennis. And... We managed to get to the top of world tennis, became British number one and had 
a glorious 10 years on the tennis tour. And within that uh, 10 years, I was, I was invited to be on the Olympic team, who Judy captained. Amazing. So that's a fast track story right there. But Well um, done. That's, that, that's a great that's nutshell version. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it immediately struck me as really fascinating that you have made this positive connection between martial arts and fighting and tennis. And you mentioned that players, tennis players, have tapped into martial arts and fighting coaches to be part of their support team. So I'd love you to tell me a bit more about that. Well, it happens a lot. I mean, it happens a lot on the tour. You know, there'll be players, if anyone wants to, you know, go and Google them, there's players out there that have have really tapped into fighters, particularly cage fighters. And I think what why they do that is because there's this real connection between the gladiatorial side of tennis, being on that court on your own and having no one to back you up. You are on your own. And the fighter in the ring or the fighter in the in the cage and also tennis players, you know, they're pretty strong characters. You know, I'm not saying they're arrogant, but they're very strong characters. And I think they, 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 you know, they have to find people they respect. So one, they identify with the, with the fire, but two, they respect them because of what they do. And that's why I believe, you know, they're, they're, they're very popular. And Andy Murray, I mean, he loves fighting, doesn't he? And uh, he's very close friends with Anthony Joshua. And tell us a bit about the the lengthy chat you had with Andy about cage fighting. Yeah, it was a re- it was a funny, surreal situation. Um, Bally had a little niggle um, down on the bottom of Wimbledon. There's all the physio rooms, and there's there's a private physio room with three beds. We walked in. You had David Ferrer down the bottom having a, a soap massage. You had Andy in the middle bed with um, with his uh, with his strength and conditioning coach at the time, Jez Green, and Bally was on the end bed. And I just started to talk to Jez about fighting, cage fighting, my experiences, and it was obviously something that sort of got Andy's ear. <laughs> and then Andy sort of joined in, and we were just there chatting, you know, for 20, 25 minutes all about cage fighting and Andy's eyes really lit up. So it's obviously, it's obviously something that he really connects with the fighting world. And um, he's got some good friends in boxing. Um, Anthony's not the only boxing friend he's got. So, so there is that really close link between either tennis player and what I have to endure as a one-to-one gladiatorial sport and how the fighter, even though they don't ne- maybe never picked up a racket before, they'll know exactly how I feel. And I think that's the that's the real genuine link between the tennis and, and the fighting world. I don't think Andy would last very long in the ring with Anthony, though, do you? Oh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> if you allowed him, to, maybe if you allowed him to take a racket in with him, he might he might survive a few rounds. <laughs> Equally, I'd love to see Anthony Joshua try to play tennis. That would be brilliant. Well, I think Anthony would have a much harder time on a tennis court than Andy would have in the ring, that's for sure. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, about your time as, as a WTA touring coach, because another thing that you mentioned off air was that there's a, a big difference between a regular coach and a touring coach and what actually makes a successful touring coach. So tell us a bit more sure. about that. Well, I mean, there's lots of things that that make a touring coach completely different to a regular coach. I mean, the number one factor is that a regular coach would spend 52 weeks of the year at home with his family, his wife, his brothers, his sisters, his children. A touring coach does not have that luxury. 
uh, touring coach will be on the road for 40, 45 weeks a year. Um, and it's a very dis disjointed sort of, I would almost say, sort of unfunctional sort of life. So you've the personality and character and resilience and mental toughness of a WTA coach has got to be on an extreme level to a normal coach that, that would just be committed to a national job. So there are different demands and it's not all around technical and tactical skills. Otherwise, you know, and people do ask the question, well, how did you end up on the world tour? Well, I ended up on the world tour because me and Elena, we were tough and we could endure everything. And that's the first thing. The, the tour challenges you all the time on every level. So basically, you have to be really, really tough and prepared to do things maybe others wouldn't do. And as a touring coach, what kind of responsibilities would you have on tour to look after your player? I mean, would that also involve sorting out racket strings, something you know as, as minute as that? Or do you focus on the actual tennis training only? Well, do you know what? All, all, players, all players are different. And there will be some players that literally will just want to turn up, hit the ball in training or warm up if they're at a tournament. They'll want to be put into the gladiatorial arena and they will want to compete. So the coach literally does everything from booking the training court, the practice courts, to getting the balls, the towels, making sure all the equipment's ready, everything. Um, and then you'll get another situation where the coach really has not much control on it at all. But the norm is that the coach is really involved in everything, bringing in strength and conditioning coaches, bringing in psychologists, organising the schedule for the year, i.e. which tournaments you go to, um, the travelling, booking hotels, all that sort of thing that the coach would normally be involved in. The higher ranking the player, normally they, have, they will have the agents, they'll have managers, and they will also get involved in things like travelling, booking hotels, etc. So it really is a mixture. You know, if you're maybe 150, 100 in the world, you're not going to have the resources of a player that's top 50, top 30, top 10. So that also has a bearing on it. But it, it, it really is a wide spectrum of, um, of, of management in terms of players and, and how they deal with their touring life. And the main word I've taken away from that subject is that you have to be tough. And this is quite relevant in light of uh, the Naomi Osaka story, the recent uh, story well, that she announced uh, at the time of recording yesterday that she would not be competing at Wimbledon. And she publicly declared in May that she was uh, suffering from depression and anxiety and as a result withdrew from the French Open. So... There's yeah. that toughness you need, but also there's mental health issues that is becoming more and more of a topic that people are thankfully it talking is. about. It's so important. Uh, you can be as tough it as is. anything, but it, you know, mental health, it's important to address as well. And because you've spent 10 years on the world tour and you've worked around some of the greatest players in the world, male and female, now you must be very aware of the tennis-specific pressures that can affect a player. So uh, could you please elaborate a bit about that as well? Yeah, and you must not get toughness, you must not get toughness uh, confused with mental health. They are completely different things. You can still be very, very tough, but hardships of life get to you. And believe you me, I know all about this because I lost Elena, you know, and yeah. um, no matter how tough I was, that took me to my knees. Yeah. And there's not a, no matter of toughness 
is going to get help you get up off your knees. And it's the same with Naomi. I really do feel for Naomi because what you've got to realize, this is, this is a young woman. This is a young woman going through so many pressures. You are, you know, you mentioned tennis specific pressures, but I wish the tennis world was as easy as that, but it's not. It's a, it's a, a cocktail of intimate pressures, personal pressures, family pressures, money pressures, expectations on you. All these things are in the cocktail of the tennis life. And don't forget, ultimately, you know, she had to, um, she proved herself as a world-class player and then she had to maintain it. You then have to maintain that standard. And it's all the, it's the solar system of tennis. It's the pressures around your world that really do come down and bear on you so terribly. And if there's enough of those things slightly off kilter, the stars are not aligned, a few planets are off, you can find yourself in an awful lot of trouble. And, and obviously Naomi did. But I think for her, you know, great respect to her. She had the strength to stand up and say, I'm in a little bit of trouble and I've just got to take a little bit of time out. So I would have thought it's a permutation of so many things that, that have caused the situation that uh, Naomi is in right now. And um, and so in terms of like the general ups and downs and of being a pro tennis player, I'm sure there's there's plenty of ups. And certainly, you know, if you're a top ranking player, you enjoy um, a plenty of perks. But we've talked about the the downsides as well, um, you know, the mental health side. But in terms of other downsides, uh, if you're sort of a lower ranking player, having to finance everything yourself, for example, can be very, very tough and perhaps dispel some of the glamour surrounding being a pro tennis player. But uh, are there any other ups and downs that you think are important to note? Well, look, the ultimate ups and downs are the winning and losing. Yeah, you know they're the ultimate ups and downs, and every player, even the high, even the top players in the world, and 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 poor Rafa, yeah. I really, uh-huh. I've really felt for Rafa. <clears throat> Just don't forget two weeks fighting your guts out, getting to a final, and then the the tennis history on your shoulders and losing. Now, can you imagine that pain he must have felt yeah. in the in the core of his guts? Yeah, being the king of um, play as well. Yeah. Now that that is the low, um, the highs are, of course, the the wins. That's why athletes do what they do and why coaches do what they do because that feeling of winning, there's nothing like it. Um, and then, of course, the highs and lows coming through the ranks. As a junior tennis player, you're going to be going to godforsaken places. Sometimes to get ranking points, you will really go to some nasty places. As a junior tennis player, if you're in a Grand Slam country like Britain, like England, you know, where we have Wimbledon, um, the French, the Aussies, the American, there's more money. So the players tend to get more support. If you're from countries where they're not Grand Slam, uh, Grand, the Grand Slams and the money isn't there, it is very difficult. And that is definitely a low, you know, to, to try to travel around the world when you don't have the money. So as juniors, there are slightly different ups and downs. Um, and I'd say the money side for definitely the parents who have to finance it mainly mm. is a real mm. big down. Mm. But then you know, look, if you're a junior, if you're a junior Grand Slam champion, they're the highs, and that's the pathway that will take you on to professional tennis. Um, so, so there's lots of highs as well in junior, and then senior. You know, the obvious, the obvious highs are the lifestyle. 
just you know the things that most if 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 you're in the normal population you just don't experience what you'll experience if you're traveling around the world 42 weeks a year almost every country every major city you, you know you're playing in tournaments where you hope to play on the big arenas arenas like elena did mm. and they're the real ups the real downs are when you're having a losing streak you know 11 tournaments on the trot where you're getting knocked out early and, and you just cannot get the momentum of winning back and you're with each other and you're traveling around every day and you're trying to keep that relationship fresh and positive, they're the downs because you just can't walk out of the office. It's not, it's not that sort of job. I'm having a bad day. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be off tomorrow. I'm just going to call in ill at work. You can't and, do it. You have to, a, you have to ride it out. And as a coach, how do you tackle that? If uh, one of your players you know, is, is on a bit of a losing streak, they're feeling low, the confidence is rock bottom. How do you as a coach tackle that? Well, look, I was very, very lucky man. Very, very lucky man. I spent hours with Judy Murray. I spent hours <laughs> with Louis, Louis, hours with Louis Kaya. Hours with, uh, with, with Leon, um, Davis Cup captain. Um, hours with Nigel Sears. All these are the world, world-class coaches. And they taught me the craft of being a, a touring coach. And one of the things you have to accept is sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose. Uh, when you win, you savour it and you savour it with the people, the closest people around you. And when you lose, you go back to the drawing board and you just start again and you keep trying to build. But bottom line, it comes back to that word again, just being tough. Got to be tough. And what is your top tip for amateur players like myself? And I'm sure there's you know, a vast world of difference between uh, coaching a pro player and giving tips to an amateur tennis player. But, um, for example, a couple of episodes ago, we had a WTA coach, Mark Gellard, and he gave us a, a great tip about if you find yourself playing against someone who you believe is better than you, then try and make that opponent play worse. So don't just focus on what's on your side of the court, but also what's happening on the other side of the court. So do you have any kind of little gems, little nuggets of, an, of, of advice that you could impart and reveal to us? Considering that tennis is probably one of the most complicated sports that I've ever had anything to do with, um, it, it's it's a question that you you could you could really answer in so much sophistication. But the basics are, and Mark is right. You know, when you go on the court, it's not just about what you do. You also have to have the open mindedness and the vision to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the player that you're playing against. And that must reflect what you do. If you just play a one-dimensional game, the same game you play every match, then you're going to be in a few problems. But my biggest tip for, for players who are trying to learn the game, one first at your club, really identify who are the recreational coaches and who are the elite coaches. Because sometimes people get that mixed up. So if they're if they're aspiring to be elite, they go to a recreational coach, and if they're aspiring if they if they're a recreational player, they go to an elite coach. And I would say my biggest tip, my absolute biggest tip, is to find the best coach you can that has great communicational skills, and will not only coach you for the money, but will coach you for the passion and the love of the game. And that comes across very very quickly when you work with a coach. They spend a little bit, they get there a little bit earlier and talk and want to get to know you and they stay just those few minutes longer after the coaching session and give you a little bit of feedback. So I think 
the big um, the big nugget for me is to get the right fit between you, the player, and the coach. And you mentioned that uh, tennis was one of the most complicated sports you've come across. So what makes it the most complicated sport? I've been asked this question before, and I always struggled with asking it before, so I gave it a lot of thought. And uh, one, the surfaces are, are all different. Very rarely get that in any other sport. Two, you have a huge area that you've got to cover, so you've got to be biomechanically unbelievable. The other difficult thing about tennis is it's that it's it, it, there's a, a neural element to it, which means there's the body yourself, the applied force, which is the racket, then a moving object, which is the ball, and that's what makes tennis very very difficult. Um, with golf, obviously the ball stationary. With something like cricket, the ball comes to you at a very sort of linear linear perspective with tennis it's coming at you with different spins different trajectories different angles it's just so difficult to cope with and can you imagine being on the court with someone like Andy Murray and this is why I go back to the Anthony Joshua (laughs) thing I think it's easier for Andy Murray to stay in a corner put his hands up and just try and give him the odd jab than someone like Anthony Joshua trying to run those balls down over the size of the, the area size of that court. Um, it would be a nightmare. Could you imagine it trying to take, uh, take all the different ways Andy Murray can hit a ball? I mean, it would be an absolute nightmare. That's why tennis is so difficult. And of course, the mental side on top of all that, yeah. you got to be one tough, tough, tough creature. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Nino Severino, for this absolutely fascinating insight into your life and also into the world of tennis. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Linda. Thank you. So I don't know about you, but me, as an amateur tennis player, I suddenly feel incredibly clever being able to tackle one of the most complicated sports in existence. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. Thank you again to Nino Severino. Wasn't he absolutely brilliant? And you can find out more about him, about his late wife, Elena, and about the foundation if you head to elenabaltacherfoundation.org. And Elena Baltacher is spelled E-L-E-N-A-B-A-L-T-A-C-H-A. And that foundation, actually, it's spearheading a fantastic charity auction called Love All. It's going to raise money for grassroots and community tennis programs in the UK, but it will also fund research into women's cancers. The auction is in memory of Elena, who sadly lost her battle to cancer in 2014, aged only 30 years old. The auction will feature memorabilia, artworks and unique experience from the worlds of tennis, music, entertainment, also uh, other sports as well and uh, that auction will be held from the 4th until the 21st of November and you can find out more by heading to www.loveallauction.com so I will see you soon for another episode of Talking Tennis with Linda in a few weeks time see you then bye bye